A lot of things are changing that we don't know whether they're temporary or permanent. And uh, that's going to take some time to hash out. But that's not just in sports. That's in everything. That's restaurants and, and everything everything else in life right now. We just have to see what sticks and what, what goes back to normal. From the digital journalists of WDRP.com, this is Uncovered, a behind-the-scenes look at stories affecting education, business, criminal justice, and more in Louisville, Kentucky. And now for the show. Chris Otts of WDRB.com. It's August 3rd, 2020. On this week's episode, we take a bit of a detour into the world of sports with WDRB's Eric Crawford. He joins me to discuss the still-developing plans for college football and for the Kentucky Derby. And for those of you who might not be as much of a sports fan as I am, don't worry, we'll delve back into news with the next episode of Uncovered. But for now, here's my conversation with Eric Crawford. I'm here with WDRB's Renaissance man, Eric Crawford. He's out covering sports. He's taking photos. He's following the general coronavirus situation in Kentucky. Eric, thanks so much for joining us again on the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Glad to be back. Eric, let's just get right to it. Are we going to have college football this year? It it looks like we're going to have it. Whether you'll get to see any in person, I don't know. <laughs> it just there's so much up in the air with this, and there's and instead, you know, I think what a lot of us expected when this first started was that we'd see these Power Five conferences, you know, the SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, ACC, Pac Twelve, come together and kind of be unified. They would decide basically to move forward, you know, on the same page. And what has happened is that that has not happened at all. We've seen the Big Ten go early with an announcement before the end of July. The ACC came out and announced that they were going to play 10 games plus one, ostensibly allowing for these rivalry games like Georgia, Georgia Tech, Clemson, South Carolina, Kentucky, Louisville, and that they were going to start fairly early, second week in September. And then the SEC comes out, and they're not starting till the end of September, and they're not going to allow for those rivalry games. They're just going to play 10, 10 conference games, and that's it. So we've seen three leagues make announcements. They've all been different, and it pretty much illustrates that there is no set plan moving forward in college football, which figured to be messy anyway because schools just don't have the level of control over players that they do in the professional leagues. And you're going to have players testing positive. You're going to have a, a, a just – any number of scenarios. So who knows what we're going to see, but they are all uh, unified on one thing. That's that they want to try and play some games. Where do we end up then? Last week, the ACC came out with its schedule. The SEC came out with its plan. As you said, these two conferences don't seem to be on the same page. Is the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry game going to happen? Yeah, that, that game's dead. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And uh, the SEC decided it was not going to play any out-of-conference games at all. So that game's not going to happen. And Louisville will have a space on the schedule for it there at the end of the year, and they'll fill it with uh, ostensibly Western Kentucky, which was already on the schedule, or Murray, who was already on the schedule, or somebody. But uh, there'll be no 
there'll be no Kentucky Louisville game this year, which is, you know, is kind of depressing for folks around here to think about. Um, but what, you know, in a year when we have no idea what's going to happen next week to worry about a game in November, might be a little premature. Right. In other words, there may be no games at all, (laughs) much less towards the end of the season. We just have to see how it, how it goes. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. I just don't know what we're looking at. I mean, we don't know what, what kind of, you know, hitches we're going to run into during the season. We're already seeing with major league baseball that, you know, you can lose a game just from a couple of people testing positive. And, and that's happened now in a couple of instances in the major leagues with teams that have had breakouts. Uh, the ACC has addressed this by kind of setting up multiple buy dates during the, its 11-game schedule. They're starting in the second week of September. They're spreading it to the end of, you know, end of November. They've got some off days sprinkled in there, and that's how they're doing it, hoping that if there's you know, teams have issues, they can kind of get well during those bye weeks. The SEC, instead of, of starting early, they're pushing it back later, September 28th, because their medical people told them to expect breakouts when students first come back to campus. And when everybody returns, they're going to see the players test positive. So they figure, why not let that, you know, that initial rush hit heal up, get people better, and then start to play, and then maybe you'll have less disruption. So there are so many ways of going about this and so many theories, and it looks like every league is going to try a different one. Thanks, Kenny. Uh, Obviously, we're getting together because we had some big news yesterday in the ACC and certainly here at Louisville. Eric, last week, U of L athletics director Vince Tyre talked about the release of the ACC plan, and particularly that big question: Will there be any fans at the games? What did he say? What update did he give? Tell us about that, and then give us your take on where these plans stand and what's likely to happen. Well, he hasn't given us any detail on that, but, you know, they're planning on having fans at football games. Uh, They're not sure how many. He said they've got multiple scenarios that they've already put together, and it's just going to be a matter, I think, probably of getting with the governor and looking at what the situation is and the direction things are heading uh, before they pick one of those scenarios and go. Uh, and, and they're looking at, at you know, all different manner of things, uh, how many people that have led into the suites, how many are in general admission. You know, right now, as you can see with Louisville City FC, the pro soccer, they're allowed up to 50%, but filling about 30% of their capacity, you know, with social distancing in place. And, you know, we'll work to consider that. And they're using some of what they've learned from Louisville City Football Club, which has already started games this year with fans to kind of learn what's happening going forward. And what we found out with them, they have a ticket partner in SeatGeek and and then SeatGeek and all these ticket companies, I'm assuming, and I would assume UofL's done the same thing. They have software now that will socially distance groups of ticket buyers. And they have found they, you know, they've got permission to have 50% of their stadium full, but if they do that, socially distance the groups, they don't come anywhere close to 50%. And so I think that's what Tyre is expecting to see. Uh, I, I would be hesitate to put a number on it, but in a, you know, 60,000-seat stadium or whatever, 
I would suspect you would see no more than 20,000 people and probably less than that. So I think the number I gave when I was asked for one uh, earlier was was somewhere in the 18,000 range. And if they're able to have fans, that's probably what we'll see. And I think we'll find out uh, in an announcement next week. I don't think they'll do that this week. I think they'll wait another week. But they can't wait all that long because they're supposed to open there, like I said, probably the the second week of September. I would presume that no ticket holders would be out of money if they're not allowed into the stadium. So I wonder about drastically reducing in-person attendance and what monetary ramifications that has, Eric. Or do you think the real issue here is whether there is football and TV And regardless of whether fans are in the stands, it's the TV um, packages that are really going to be uh, the difference maker for not only U of L's athletic departments, but UK and the other um, athletic departments that are struggling right now. Yeah, and and you you mentioned the two components that that you watch, and obviously some get more TV than others, and the SEC has has a huge TV deal, and that's a large amount of revenue, so they're going to get one amount of money, but um, Louisville's cut its athletic athletics budget by 15%, largely on the assumption that it's not going to have a, a large amount of ticket revenue. The question I have, question you probably have, and I know the question they have is whether that's enough, whether they've cut enough. But I, the, the one thing to note, and, and Vince has talked about this, and I, I've talked to him about it and others have, you know, there's there's an expense to having fans in the stands. If they can't have any fans at all, they cut a lot of expenses in terms of, you know, uh, game day operations, uh, concessions and parking and attendance and and people working the entry gates and all that. If you have a, a reduced number, you get some ticket revenue from that, but you also add pretty much as much expense as you would for a whole game. So... I'm going to be interested to see how revenue works if it is a third of their usual crowd and if it, if it's kind of limited to that all season. Uh, that 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 could almost be a wash in some ways. So we'll see. I know that at Louisville, people that have, have done ticket donations um, have been given the option, <laughs> have been asked kind nicely. I don't know how many have, done, have availed themselves of this. I know this happened with baseball that instead of a refund, you just count that as a donation to the program. I don't know how many people are going to be willing to do that. There were some who did that with baseball. I don't know what the percentage was. But, you know, athletic departments right now are kind of trying to hit on everything they can do for whatever revenue they can get. Um, but but I, I tend to think that they're going to take bigger losses than they've projected so far if this current scenario of 30% or less seems to hold. I'll add something there from my own uh, coverage of things, which is that uh, in 2017, the Republican tax overhaul that uh, cut taxes for most people also made an important change here, which is that the itemizing of deductions for charitable contributions, such as what you were suggesting there, people donate their uh, their ticket purchases into charitable contributions. Well, very few people anymore actually itemize those on their taxes. So because of that change, there's really much less incentive um, for charitable donations. Who knows if that actually ends up making 
uh, a difference here, but that is, you know, one thing to watch. Yeah, it is. I know that's already, I think that's already had an impact in basketball. If you look at the Louisville season tickets in basketball, of course, they've had other issues uh, in that program trying to kind of keep their support where it was, but it's been down anyway. And, uh, and probably will continue to be down uh, with with this scenario and the questions of indoor sports and all that that raises too. We haven't even gotten into that. What is the prospect? What are the prospects? Excuse me for basketball this year. Has there been any update on that recently? Well, I, I just saw where Louisville sent out a, a release for pre-sale tickets of a tournament they're playing in in Las Vegas in November. So they obviously feel like that's going on, or at least feel confident enough in it to sell some tickets. Um, Basketball is going to be played. I have not seen any plan on the table yet to abbreviate the season. Uh, Former Louisville coach Rick Pitino is one who called for just starting the season in January and playing conference games only and and seeing if that could get them through in a full season. But I I really haven't seen any kind of plans. I know Bellarmine, for instance, here, they're waiting to play their first Division I season. They've got some high-profile games on the road where if, if non-conference games gets knocked out, uh, they're facing a, a, that's a revenue issue because you're getting paid to go play those games and that helps fund the rest of your sports. So there's a lot of people just kind of sitting and waiting to see where things go, but uh, it's hard to, uh, to imagine that it not having a, a pretty dramatic impact on basketball because you're playing indoors and, and that seems to be a much tougher scenario than socially distanced out in a football stadium. Well, Eric, we know the NBA has been able to play in their bubble in Orlando. Is that a totally unrealistic solution for college basketball? Yeah, there's just no way. You can't even, uh, Louisville can't even keep its own athletes, you know, in one, in one school at one place in a bubble. Uh, it just hasn't, wouldn't work. They've got class to go to and while most of those will probably be online and most athletes are taking online courses anyway um it's just tough there's interaction people of this age interact and it's not that they're getting seriously ill it's just that whenever there's one positive everybody had close contact with that person then has to take precautions and and pretty soon you know your whole starting lineups on the bench even if one or one or two people test positive so that that makes it tough um and and again with football it's one thing you've got more numbers with basketball and a 12 man roster you could lose too many people to play pretty quick so we've already seen Louisville basketball really out of a out of, out of an abundance of precaution shut itself down for 2 weeks here in the preseason and just in their workouts and uh you know if that happens closer to season or in season it's it really sets you back Eric, what do we know about Louisville, Kentucky, other college football programs in terms of their plans for testing? Are they going to be taking everybody's tests, what, the day before the game? Are they going to be able to turn the tests around that fast? And then if you're positive, are you automatically pulled out and prevented from playing? Are the people that you may have been in close contact with prevented from playing? I can sort of see how this goes off the rails really quickly. Yeah, I've seen Louisville's plan because the ACC has published its uniform plan for everybody, and that is that 
everybody is tested uh, within three days of, of competition. Louisville has no issue because they're using their own university medical school um, facilities and people and they get test back you know within three to four hours so they, they don't have helps to have a world-class lab right here it, it does uh, <laughs> so they, they've right. yeah they've been able to take advantage of that and they they get them back quickly other schools it's it's more of a of an expense and one interesting thing i'm not sure of how you know who's footing the bill for these tests if athletics is writing a check to the medical school or how that's working uh, that's something that, that we probably need to look at because there's a significant amount of testing that goes on. But the ACC has gone so far. They've developed a protocol. Uh, they have defined what close contact is. Uh, it's not just being in the same room with a person. It's it's being uh, you know within six feet for a prescribed period of time or in competition. So, uh, but it's not so hard in a sports setting or in a practice setting. You know, you can be in close contact with a lot of people <laughs> pretty quickly. So, um, and all those in close contact uh, have a period to sit out uh, as well. And all of that's done after competition. It's done, you know, after competition, which will then be pretty much on the heels right before the next competition. So, and, and that carries on. Now, once someone tests positive and returns, I think they're exempt from testing for a, for a period, maybe 60 days. So, they're, they're not retesting somebody that is has tested positive in return. They're just assuming a certain level of immunity, and that's something we all hope is the case. Yeah, we all hope is the case, but we don't scientifically actually no, know that, I don't uh, think. It's not been proven, uh, but again, there's very little has been proven with this virus because it's just it's so new still. But um, but that that's their assumption. Maybe we learn otherwise if, if somebody does differently in, in one of these leagues and tests everybody, even if, even if they've had it in return. So, Eric, we're obviously very accustomed to injuries in football, but do you think it will be tenable? I mean, does it ever enter your mind as to whether this is worth doing if, you know, the day before uh, Louisville and Florida State or Louisville and Clemson and you find out, you know, five offensive starters are out because of COVID? I mean, that just seems like uh, a really tough thing just for fans to swallow for it just seems to me to call into question like what are we doing here yeah and that that could be where we get i mean if you start to have multiple forfeitures and it's not a forfeit you just don't play in the game there's no game recorded so that that, that they've taken care of that already uh, it's a cancellation and, and that's that um if you start you know it's one thing for what we've seen in the major leagues where they're playing 60 games and you can make them up and, and do all of that. Uh, it's important, too, in these settings not to overreact to every positive test and every cancellation. But with college football, it's different because every game is such a big deal, and now you're reducing the schedule even more by a couple of games. Um, you know, when when is uh, enough enough? And, and that's a good question. And, and uh, you know, will we see teams just completely drop by the wayside and say that's it? It's not worth the expense of testing, the expense of, of having fans with a reduced schedule. Uh, if, if you have to do that, if a team has to go to the sidelines, do they forfeit TV money? You know, what, what's going to happen, revenue sharing? Um, th there's still a lot of things, even as leagues have worked to kind of ramp up plans, I think there's a lot of plans that they haven't made yet, and there's a lot of unanswered questions even still. Eric, help me understand 
the logic of the SEC saying we'll play these, what, nine conference games, but we don't want to play that one really important rivalry game, whereas the ACC was willing to do that. Are they, they just trying to take one game off the table because of the pandemic, but they're okay playing all of the other ones? Well, I think the official explanation was they wanted to start late. Uh, they wanted to push the start back as far as they could to avoid what they think is going to be an early season slash preseason, you know, rash of positives among the teams. So that's the official explanation. The unofficial, cynical explanation is they looked at it and said, all right, look, we got a lot of these games taking place at ACC stadiums. That's ACC network games. We're not getting any money from those. Let's just toss them. They're not going to really do us much good anyway. Um, I, I don't know which you look at. And, of course, the other thing is that, you know, if they just limited it to places in in their own league using their own testing protocols, that that would be fine. And um, I, I think that I, – I think you can pick your official or unofficial explanation. But either way, I think – I, I kind of like the SEC's plan, what they're doing virus-wise. It's just we're going to miss those games. One thing I wonder, Eric, is the delay in the start of the season that you talked about. Are they just delaying the inevitable? Like they don't want to acknowledge that football's just not going to happen this year quite yet. And they're hanging on saying, well, let's just get a few more weeks into this and see what it looks like and see if it's possible. But to me, it just looks like bad writing on the wall. Well, it certainly lets you see how everything else is going. Um, I, I, I tend, I, I like the delay. I thought that that was a smart thing. I mean, if you're going to shrink your season and, and cut it down, then why start right when you were going to originally start anyway? Why not give this thing some time to, to improve? And especially in the southeastern states we're talking about in the SEC, I mean, Florida's the global epicenter of this virus right now. You're talking about starting college sports right in the middle of it. So, uh, you know, in the ACC, it's a little bit different. And in Kentucky, we're in better shape probably than just about any other state in the, in the league, maybe except New York right now for what's going on there. So, And New York's already ruled that they are not going to have fans at anything. So Syracuse, you're going to be playing in an empty stadium. Um I just think that the that the delay, yeah, it might be putting off the inevitable, but uh, I think it may actually work out well for the SEC. Well, my only thought uh, as a, a pushback to that is with the delay, you also don't really leave very much wiggle room to pause for two weeks or whatever if 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 something goes wrong, which it seems the way this virus is going, there's a pretty good chance that things may need to be paused in midseason. Yeah, you're right. And there's only one bye week in there. And the other thing you do, I think the SEC championship game, is that not, it's like the week before Christmas or you're getting real close. So you're playing, you know, late. Uh, and we haven't seen college football try to do that very much. In fact, you're they're probably playing right when some of the early, early bowl games right around when those would get started. So um, that's going to be interesting. And, uh, again, that's that's the risk you take uh, when you do that with only one bye week in there is that if somebody gets, uh, gets sideways and gets a lot of tests, it's hard to recover from that. 
Eric, you also reported on the Kentucky High School Athletics Association last week uh, and their plan uh, for high school football. And it would seem to me that there's a lot less room for error there because with high school teams, you, you have fewer numbers, I believe, than you do with college teams, just in terms of the number of players. Uh, what did you make of what uh, the high school um, association decided and whether that is actually going to, you know, whether there's going to be a season this year for them. Yeah. It's not only fewer numbers in high school football, but fewer all the time. I mean, fewer, fewer parents are letting their kids play football out of safety concern. And I kind of wonder how many, you know, teams, how, what kind of numbers they'll have this year, just in the midst of all this, of all this COVID stuff. So uh, they're, they're moving forward and they have, uh, they're planning to play. And they have, they have set a start date. The interesting thing about all of that, just for, for folks around here, is that the athletics director from Jefferson County, Jerry Wyman, abstained from that vote. He, he supported the go-ahead. He said, you know, everybody's fine, go ahead. He just had a lot of doubts about how that was going to be accomplished in Jefferson County because we're a different deal. And in Fayette and some of these other uh, larger school districts in the state, they they have some issues that some of these rural districts don't always have, so it's going to be interesting to see how how it works here in JCPS. You're talking about having kids at school practicing football, but you're not going to have them at school in school. You know they're not coming for class, so it's an interesting optics on that. Uh, and um, you know I, I can't say that I I think they're going to try and go ahead and and play and get through with it, but. Um, it's going to be tougher here than it is elsewhere in the state and tougher from some of the, you know, big Catholic school powers like Trinity, who usually plays three or four out-of-state games before they even start playing their in-state competition. Uh, A lot of those games are scrapped because they're not going to be allowed uh, to leave the state to play games unless it's a county bordering Kentucky. So uh, they're going to have to pick up some games or play fewer uh, or something. So there's a lot still. And I, again, uh, we're in a good spot in Kentucky where our numbers are starting to creep back down. So you hope that you hope that kind of makes things better. But uh, but Kentucky's full speed ahead on football and and uh, it's just kind of rolling the dice and seeing what happens. Eric. Churchill Downs continues to say that they're going to have in-person spectators at the Kentucky Derby, which is now rescheduled for Labor Day weekend, September 5th. However, I covered their quarterly earnings call last week, and they continue to be very vague about what the plan will actually be. And I think if I can read between the lines, they're still trying to figure it out. What do you envision for the Kentucky Derby this year? Do you think it will mainly be a, a television event? Well, yeah, it, it'll be mostly a television event. But, you know, I was interested, you wrote a story last week from that call where they have suspended general admission sales, which this year is infield sales. And um, that that was an interesting proposition from the start, how they were going to have fans in the infield and they they like to talk about how many acres are in the infield, and it is a lot of space, but it's not a space known for people, you know, using good judgment and and staying far apart from each other. So, that that to me is the big long shot. I, I can't see them 
if numbers are still high and our daily counts are still high and they're, we're a month out and they got to make a call, it's hard for me imagining that they will still uh, be allowed to have fans in the infield. Uh, they can still fit a good many people into the grandstand. The way that, that they've described selling the boxes in kind of a checkerboard pattern or, or what have you so that the boxes are just sold you know, intermittently so they're socially distanced, um, there's quite a few in there. You can still get quite a few people, and you can spread them out in the grandstand. We've seen that happen in sports stadiums already uh, just to get some in. It's such a huge place that uh, I do think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they could get twenty to 30,000 people in there somehow. But even that, you're not going to be, you know, it's not going to feel like the Kentucky Derby. It's still going to seem like it's empty because I've seen 25,000 people in there for Breeders' Cup, and it, it feels like just a normal day of racing. So um, I think they'll have fans. I don't think they'll have as many as they originally hoped, and uh, and and we'll see how that goes. But, I, you know, uh, all indications right now are that they'll get some people in there. It's just just not going to be many. Eric, let's close with, uh, I would just like a personal reflection from you. You've been uh, a sports writer for decades in this town. This has got to be the strangest year. I don't know if there are other years where we have something like this. Uh, how are you sort of looking at the months ahead uh, as a journalist and approaching this? Uh, and where would you rank, you know, this situation in terms of all the other you know weird years that that you've covered in your career well you know this is very top and from a sports standpoint because even when sports start back uh for instance we got an email today from the university of louisville um they're getting ready to start football practice on tuesday they will be no media allowed at practice there'll be no press conferences that'll be zoom uh, press conferences after practice uh, every day, um, and even at games, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to allow media on the field. Football sidelines will run from ten yard line to ten yard line, so the teams on the sideline can be distanced. So there's not a lot of room, you know, for people on sidelines or in zones, uh, photographers, what have you. Uh, so much of what we do this year is going to either be provided by the teams in terms of video and photography or heavily provided by the teams in terms of who they make available through video press conferences and stuff like that. Uh, you're not going to be able to see practice. You're not going to be able to have any real access to people. So it's it's going to remain a challenge even once sports are back. Uh, it'll be a while before we're back covering them uh, the way we ever did. And that, that really changes the job uh, when you can't you know sit down across from somebody and talk to them. Uh, it makes a big difference. So uh, it, the changes aren't over. I, I think just from a from a media standpoint, uh, we'll have to come up with different ways and, and a few more innovations in how we do this and how we cover teams and see what works and what doesn't work. But but it is a challenge. It's like nothing that you know that I've ever been through since this whole thing started. There've been a lot of changes, uh, social media and all that, uh, all the different things that have come online. But this is this is more radical than anything I've seen. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed that this is the one fall and uh, and maybe into the spring that we have to deal with all this. But who knows whether it is or not. 
<laughs> yeah, we don't know. Uh, we don't know. And you know, a lot of things are changing that we don't know whether they're temporary or permanent. And uh, that's going to take some time to hash out. But that's not just in sports. That's in everything. That's restaurants and, and everything everything else in life right now. We just have to see what sticks and what, what goes back to normal. Eric, thanks so much for your time today, and I hope to have you back on relatively soon to see where we stand uh, with all of these things that we talked about. Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it. The Uncovered Podcast is a production of WDRB Media. Please subscribe, review, and rate wherever you get your podcasts.